my name is Cynthia Giselle Murillo. Cynthia is pronounced like if you don't have a tia, Cynthia. I also go by CJ, any works. Um, so I was born in California, but my family and I moved at a very young age, um, specifically because um, of the agricultural opportunities that my parents had and found in Washington State. And we had family in Wenatchee that they're like, oh, come move over here. So I've lived in Wenatchee for a majority of my life, about over 12 years. And then three adjectives that describe me, I think, would be um, angry, <laughs> mm. <laughs> passionate, and um, I don't know how you would say this, but I feel a lot of empathy, so empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so earlier you mentioned that you've been to some of the protests. Like for me, besides the bigger protest the bigger uh, message of the protesting which is black lives matter um george floyd which is what initially started the protest but um just out of curiosity because i know when i every time i've went to a protest like i can't do it without crying and when the certain phrase when we're uttering um i can't breathe i can't breathe literally every time i hear that saying it breaks me down and i start crying because to me it's very symbolic as to what it means to be a black person and a person of color in America, where it's like all these barriers you have to keep continuously going over and it gets so exhausting to the point where you you almost feel like in, in a symbolic way, like you can't breathe. And then when you, you can't talk about these experiences, so going to the protest where for the first time, I'm in a space where I'm able to confront these pain that I felt my whole life growing up, feeling like I was less than and inferior. But just out of curiosity, like what are, because the protest allows all people of color and minority to come to those feelings. So I'm just curious, um, what are the type of emotions that you're going, that are going through you as you're at these protests? So I've taken part in protests before. And at that time, I didn't know they were performative. I was part of speaking, um, planning, and a lot of times, for example, there was this one protest that was a vigil and it was specifically for all the Central Americans that have passed away trying to cross the border. Um, if people don't know, when you're from Central America, you cross more than one border. So in Spanish, a lot of times um, they would say like doble mojado because they have to cross multiple borders to get to Mexico and then to get to the United States. And it's a very dangerous journey. And nobody that was Central American spoke or was invited to speak. And looking out to the people that I was speaking to, it was all white people. The only Latinx people there were my family that were participating. And planning the Women's March, they asked me, oh, should we put um, the Latinx people of color, LGBTQ folk in the front? Or should we have them mixed? <laughs> and I was like, no, this is not a question you ask. <laughs> this is not something that should be questioned, that should be happening in the first place. So for a bit of background, when I heard what happened to George, George Floyd and when I saw the video going around, I actually was trying to avoid it because of the whole situation with trauma porn and mostly because I knew I wouldn't be able to handle it. 
And one day I was on Snapchat and I was looking through these news stories and one of the stories had a clip that played automatically. And when I saw that, I broke down and I shut off from social media for a couple of days because I was angry. I felt a lot of despair and it was an anger that I've never felt before. I know, um, as you mentioned before, for years I've been involved in this type of scene where you speak out against injustice. And I've seen this happen before in the past, but this time I don't know what happened, but it just hit me a lot harder than before. So when my friend and I decided to go to this protest, we were really skeptical of how this protest was going to play out just because um, we knew that the organizer didn't want to pursue police reform or calling out the police and how it was really catered towards white people. Yeah. And so we drove through first and we were just amazed of how many people showed up. And so we decided to park. We made our signs in the car and we went and joined them. And my friend and I started joining in on the chants. And I felt a lot of anger and I just kept screaming and screaming and chanting and chanting until I couldn't anymore. My throat was all raspy. My throat was burning because we were only planning to stay for a little while. And I felt despair and anger and sadness. And I was thinking, I'm going to keep chanting until I can't breathe because I'm fed up. I'm tired. This is disgusting. Why is this happening? This isn't fair. There's no purpose to what happened. And it was one of the first times in a protest where I felt this um, emotionally affected and impacted. And I remember my friend that she was crying as she was chanting because she was also affected by the video and seeing what was going on. And I know, I don't know if y'all have seen the movie um, Get Out, but there's a yes. scene. Yes. Yeah, it's such a good film. But there's a scene where um, we see the sunken place and mm -hmm. how it's a representation yes. of being a minoritized person, of marginalization. And when you are a min uh, minority that's marginalized, you're not allowed to speak your truth and it gets to that that you can't breathe you're suffocated by all the experiences that you've been through that constantly are undermined by the community and by others yep. so to answer your question i just felt a lot of anger i felt like my soul was broken and tired i just couldn't handle this anymore and i didn't know how to express it and at that time i expressed it through chanting in the protest that's literally exactly how I felt and how you described the sunken place exactly mm -hmm. what my emotions were at. Too. And um, growing up in Wenatchee, like what are some forms of racism or discrimination that you have faced or witnessed as a um, person of color? So when I moved to Wenatchee, that's when I learned that I was brown and that's when I learned that I was poor. And the reason why I always tell people that was because when I lived in California, my skin color and my economic status weren't interconnected and they weren't pointed out by people. And I saw a lot of representation when I would go out to the store and when I would go to school. And one of the first ex experiences I had in Wenatchee was when I was in the first grade, first or second grade, and I was walking around my school and this truck came by with this white guy and he yelled at me and he was like, get out of my 
but go back to your country, you illegal alien. Wow. And I was really confused. And I asked a teacher that I knew, and he was a white male, like what that meant. And he looked at me perplexed and he was like, oh, it's for people who don't belong here. And I was like, what do you mean don't belong? Like, I'm not an alien. I'm a person. Like, you know, I was really naive and really young and I didn't understand what that term meant. And that was the first of many microaggressions and microaggressions that I would face living in Wenatchee and not just me, but my parents. And my parents, a lot of times they wouldn't speak out because that's the norm that Mm -hmm. they would live through. Like, from people yelling at me to go back to my country, to people um, yelling racial slurs at me, to teachers making a lot of um, stereotypical assumptions about me, to even my fellow peers. Um, It was always really difficult for me to cope with these things because whenever somebody looked at me wrong or whenever somebody said something of the sort to me, I had nobody to talk to about it because then people would defend the other person's actions and be like, oh, you're overthinking or, oh, they didn't mean it this way. Um, my experiences as a person of color were often undermined. Yes. And it was really intense during um, the election year where Trump was running as a candidate because um, I had people tell me that Trump was going to deport me And at the same time, my so-called friends who were trying to help me cope, they'd be like, oh, they're not going to deport you because you're a good Mexican. And I, at that time, I didn't know how big of an issue this like statement was. I found it disgusting that just because I was like a decent kid, according to them, that that justifies me staying in this country, even though I was born in California. And how they criminalize and undermine like people of color who may have a criminal record, who might live in poverty, or who might not be assimilated completely to like Western ideas, specifically in Washington State. I also remember one time in high school, I was in on my desk. I was in my desk and I was writing. I was doing some assignment, and there was these two white students sitting across from me, and they were cheating off my paper. And at that time, I didn't say anything. And they were saying, oh, they're going to deport all the, like, dirty Mexicans. They're all criminals. They're all illegals. And I got really angry. And I started telling them off. But my voice got louder and louder. And I was like, it isn't fair that you're out here telling us that we're dirty illegals, that we're criminals, that we're bad people. When you're literally here cheating off a so-called illegals paper, you're out (laughs) there, like, doing these things. And my teacher just looked at me really confused because she had no idea what was going on. And a lot of the other students were just looking at me and I was really fed up. So when I was in college, I took a class called Sociology and Racism. And it was the first time where I felt like my experiences were explained and validated because I learned what microaggressions were. I learned what prejudice was. I learned what inherent bias was. I learned the reason why people express themselves in this way. And I learned that my experiences were valid and that I didn't deserve to be treated that way just because of the color of my skin. And even then in the college, I would face a lot of racism, mostly from peers. And I would see a lot of racism from these same peers um, when it would came to the way they treated professors and faculty of color. So I actually grew this really um, negative mindset And I had a lot of resentment towards Wenatchee as a whole because of the way I was treated, 
because of the way I was criminalized, because of my skin, because of the way that people perceived me because I was a brown woman and the way that they perceived my parents. And I was like, all these people are horrible. And I remember in my AP classes, I would be so scared because it was like majority white student. And I mm -hmm. felt like I didn't belong there. And there was even people that were Latinx and they were like, oh, why are you in those classes? Don't you know they're for white people? Or, oh, why do you know English so well if you're not white? And it was just this huge, difficult issue that I had to learn to cope with by myself. And even in Wenatchee High School, like when I had the chance to speak out about my experiences with racism, other white students would be like, oh, Cynthia's racist towards white people. And I was like, okay, so I guess for every racist interaction I have, it's my fault existing and speaking my truth. So it's been a huge um, transformative experience for me to face all these issues. But it was also very traumatizing at the same time. And there's still a lot of trauma that I'm trying to cope with. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, they often come with the saying like, oh, racism doesn't exist anymore because people aren't being, there's, because slavery doesn't exist anymore. And just going back to your stories that you just shared is that you don't have to own a person to be racist or to say and do racist stuff. And I think that's one thing that people often get like get it wrong in translating and for me going back to your whole experience with college for me being in sociology being in history i think it was with history with humerus for the first time where i was like wow my experience is validated because i remember trying to have conversations with people and like you said they often try to devalue your experience as a as a colored person in america is because and they often try to tell you, oh, it's, it's not happening this way because this is what they really meant or this is what they were coming at. And so, like, I completely feel you 100% when you say, like, how hard it is to talk about those issues with people because it, it, often, it comes to the point where you, often, you even start to think, like, wait, maybe I did see it wrong. Maybe I did see that. I did feel that in a certain way that it wasn't portrayed to be in that way. So I 100% feel that for sure. And then also to add to that, because being in the black community i feel like when it comes to the group of minoritized group that is most vocal it is more the black community and so that's part of why we wanted to also do this too because people need to realize that racism isn't just towards black people and so and being in the education system in wenatchee where we saw that even though we were one of the only black people so like our experience is different too but we saw the racism that was targeted towards the Latino community. So, but I wanted to ask the question, like, as a Latino person, did you ever feel like people wouldn't value your experience with racism and discrimination because you weren't black? Like, I know yeah, part of it is because I'm a woman mm. and that adds always that layer of like complexity because, um, you know, women are stereotyped as overdramatic as exaggerated and all these other um, stereotypical um, inclinations and assumptions. But I feel like the reason why I wasn't taken as seriously was because I lived in a majority white community. And I moved around the time where Wenatchee was just starting to become more diverse. And it was something that a lot of people couldn't cope with. And I think another issue is because I didn't know my history. So I ended up taking Chica Next studies at the college and I took every single course that they offered. 
and it was just a beautiful experience for me to learn about my history and my people and where I come from and the reason why certain stereotypes exist, the reason why we live in the manner that we do today, the reason why people refer to us in particular ways, the reason why the government acts differently when it comes to immigration, when it comes to all these other issues like agricultural um, work and exploitation and other things. And so now when I bring up racism and hand in hand with taking sociology and race and comparative world religions, because we did learn about like um, the roots of Christianity and Catholicism, I have the facts to prove to people like, hey, my experiences are valid and while there's facts to support it like y'all learn your history <laughs> mm-hmm. and also i think it's really difficult because um i don't want to generalize but with my experiences with the latinx community a lot of times we're taught to just be quiet about it to just not speak out about it and to yes. not be seen and that everything will be okay like there's a saying called um calladita te miras mas bonita so like the quieter you are, the prettier you look. And, you know, there's a lot of issues with machismo in the Latinx community. And there's also the fact that the Latinx community is also racist. And it's a lot of things that people don't talk about. That um, there's the issue of Black erasure, of Afro-Latinx folk. And how um, Black people are constantly degraded as well in the Latinx community. And people believe that they can't be racist because they're people of color. But it completely undermines the historical occurrences of slavery in mexico and another issue is there's a lot of racism and a lot of prejudice and discrimination when it comes to a person's um status in this country so a lot of times you have latinx folks being racist towards other latinx folks because they might not have papers they might not be a citizen maybe they're a resident maybe they're refugees or maybe they're undocumented in this country so there's these huge issues when it comes to talking about race and racism within the latinx community and also when you're the minority in another community because Mm -hmm. you don't have a space anywhere you reside in this third space where a lot of times you find yourself alone and a lot of times you don't know how to cope with because you're really young when you go through these things there was no way for me to report it i had nobody to talk to about it and so growing up i had that insecurity of oh maybe i am like crazy or maybe i am just looking at this in a negative way so i think there's a lot of factors of why i feel like it wasn't taken seriously Another thing is that it has to be known that colleges and the K-12 system are white institutions that are used to uphold assimilation and white preference and white elitism. So if I tell an institution meant for white people, hey, students are racist towards me, they're going to be like, oh yeah, that's the point. That's the purpose. For you to assimilate completely through us um, criminalizing you and through us benefiting from you. I know it was really interesting. I'm going to see if I can pull up this article real quick because it was this article that talked about when the shutdown first began. And here, let me read in a little excerpt from it. And it's it's titled Essential But Unwanted. Coronavirus um, reveals another American double standard. And what is said down here was uh, many migrant workers are now being given letters, papers, if you will, that grant them special license to violate stay at home orders so they can freely go to work to pick vegetables and fruit. And I think that's just so interesting that at a certain time, not even that long ago, it was like, oh, you're aliens, you're immigrants, go back to your country, you don't belong here. 
and then the yeah and then the coronavirus hit and all of a sudden it's like oh wait 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 you're essential like you're the people that we need to go into the fields you're the people that we need to work so that we can continue having our food but everybody else needs to stay at home and do their part so i just think that's so interesting how in america it's like they want to take parts of you but they don't want to see the whole picture it's like you're important in their eyes in the way they want you to be important and then you're completely devalued in any, every other space any other way so i think that's really interesting it's cuz the main reason is because historically mexicans have only been valued because of their land and because of their labor and that has happened since mm-hmm. world war 2 beforehand when the united states declared war on mexico to steal their land it's always about american interests and as we know in washington state that a majority of the workforce when it comes to agriculture are latinx a bigger majority of those folks are undocumented and a majority of those folks are the reason why our economy in washington is stable amen we have these folks working exactly. in the orchards at 4 in the morning getting burned by the sun working in unholy temperatures and then um working in these warehouses where it's very dangerous to work at working long hours literally sacrificing themselves because they need to survive and they're being fed into this huge system of exploitation so the state can get it the way they want and that's the big thing like i don't know where they're saying oh we're essential but mm-hmm. it's our labor that's why we're not treated as such and even going back to the shed like working there two summers myself i was completely appalled at how people are treated in there even just how like they have to stand for such a long period of time sorting through the cherries and even when white people work there too it's like it's still not even the same tree maybe because what i what i recognized in there was like and to me i'm like you never really gonna know how it feels to be in that environment because even in there there's still privilege that you have there's certain jobs that you don't have to do and if you do you don't have to do it for as long as a person of color in there has to do and there's like certain jobs that are nicer that white people often gets to do versus the latino community or the latino people in there that don't get to do and Ellen had an encounter with this one man and how privileged he was to have a job in there but in his he was from Venezuela but from there he was actually a surgeon but in the US in the United States in Washington that was the only job he could get but as American if you have that education you can pretty much go anywhere in the world and your education would be valued but as a different a person of color coming from a different country it's then that your education gets stripped away which mm-hmm. is like it, it it just shows the level of privilege that white people have in this country that people of color don't have and there's difficult jobs like one of the main reasons why I accepted to be on this podcast is because um I was working the trade season I was working night shifts while being in school and it's horrible I would start up um and then i would drive from Fort Quincy so i would have to leave earlier and i would get out like at 4 in the morning and last week my hand got stuck in a machine so my hand got injured and that same day somebody else's hand got stuck in another machine and it completely like destroyed their hand and it's a very dangerous wow. place to be working at it's a very difficult place it's a lot of pla- it's a place where um a lot of the latinx people there don't want to see youth working there. Um this is the second time I've worked there because the first time uh, my supervisor when the cherry season was over, she was like, "I don't want to see you here again. You have so much potential. Um you have so much worth. You have a future ahead of you. Keep studying and do it for us. Like your diploma 
is something that represents all of the sacrifices we've made and we did it for like for you we did it for all the youth so they wouldn't have to slave their days off in this embake or in the warehouse because it's really difficult i know my mom had issues because she was going through depression and instead of receiving support she worked in that place for like over eight years she was fired wow and she had no means of economic support um and they instead of trying to be understanding they were just like oh no well you could leave and i know recently they tried um having a protest so they can get paid more because they're working during the pandemic mm -hmm. and the owner of the warehouse was just like oh i have a stack of applications here if you want to keep protesting i'll fire you because we have somebody that can take your place wow people just don't understand how difficult it is to work in, in these places and especially for such a long period of time and we have a lot of folks that are undocumented and don't receive any type of government aid. They don't receive retirement. Yes, the government's out here taking the taxes that they pay. And they're 60, 70, 80, and they're still working in these places. Making our food yeah. so that you and your families at home can eat. And not just here, but around the world. In the warehouse where I work, they send fruit to Australia, Japan, china they send it to so many places it's not just feeding our economy and feeding our tables it's tables everywhere and that's what pisses me off like how the narrative is spun to make people of color and minorities like feel like we're, we're the people benefiting off america and all these things to psychologically make us feel like we're less but when you look at what's really happening it's like you know you're actually like do, like living off of us almost like that shit just pisses mm -hmm. me off so much and yeah and being in the cherries even just for like just that little period i'm just like wow this the amount of stuff that people have to go through to be in here day after day after day barely getting any sleep and then the next thing you know you're back in there and it's just the strength it takes is it mm -hmm. it's the crazy. sad thing is that other people will only find worth in minorities through their labor again like my dad he works um like doing flooring for people and a majority of these people are really wealthy and he's received a lot of racism towards the owners or other companies they have to work with and by the end when he's done fixing their shower putting their tile then they're like oh well, you are hardworking and you're not that bad of a person as I thought because they stereotype him and they criminalize him and they believe like he's not capable of doing anything. But once they see that he knows his stuff and they see what a good job he does for them, that's when people start to value him through his labor instead of finding value and respecting him as a person. Because as a person of color in America, unfortunately, you have to prove yourself every single day that you deserve to be treated like, like a human, just like everybody else. And then maybe like we can start talking about apple blossom because that's a whole nother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Oh, yeah, yeah, because so with apple blossom, I do have a lot of issues with it per se. Um, I know in, in high school, it was the place where I heard a lot about apple blossom when it came to its diversity. And I remember I had a conversation with my cousin and she told me that they wanted to start a petition and they were really upset because no people of color were chosen to be part of the royalty. And she was like, oh, the only person that was able to get ahead was this certain person. And this certain person, she's white passing. So she has really light skin. She does have brown eyes and brown hair, but she's white passing. And so I kind of looked at her and I said, do you want somebody to be picked just because they're black they're brown they're latinx or this and that or do you want a person to be picked because they embody the values of what's needed 
And then the second thing I asked her was, now, do you feel like you as a brown person with brown skin would be represented if a white Latinx person was up there? And she just stayed quiet. And I'm like, that's the issue. That's where the issue lies. Because for me, I feel like Apple Blossom needs a more equitable process where all contestants have a chance to compete, where they provide workshops for speech. A lot of us don't know how to write proper speeches if such a thing exists just because um again we're taught not to be involved in that we're not taught to be in the public other things another issue is that we really have to reanalyze and reflect on apple blossom's values is apple blossom royalty just forcing young women to assimilate to what the standards of women and beauty are in particular these standards we all know reflect white westernized ideals or is it time that we change these standards another thing how do we diversify the board of people who are in charge of apple blossom how can the how can this diversity that we're yearning for actually provide a cultural representation of Wenatchee without it being tokenization because I know um when we go to the apple blossom parade you know you have um that one section that is supposedly for Latinos and you see people in chattel you see people on horses you hear the banda which is great these are all great faucets of our culture but it's not everything and the difficult thing for people to understand and accept is that that is tokenization and that the only reason why this is allowed is because this is where the white majority says, oh, they're Mexican, they're supposed to be like this, therefore we'll allow that. We accept them in these spaces, therefore they can be presented in these spaces. And the bigger issue is, where is the black representation in Apple Blossom? We're talking about Latinx, and I know a big tie to it is because of the undocumented labor that supports the Apple industry, but we also have black folk who it might not be seen a lot in Wenatchee, but in other places in Washington state, they're the ones picking the fruit. Where is their representation? How about LGBTQ representation? There's so many issues because I know, even when it comes to the so-called Mexican or Latino or Hispanic part of the parade, there's white people still complaining on like, why are they here? And I know um, the WVC Senate team had a golf cart and it advertised their queer prom. And a lot of people were upset by that. So can we really blame Apple Blossom? because I personally believe that Apple Blossom is a manifestation of Wenatchee's principles and ideals. And it doesn't look pretty. No, it upholds white assimilation, white authority, white supremacy. And it forces people of color, exactly. black folk, indigenous folk, and other people to be swept under the rug and to continuously be oppressed by these other institutions in Wenatchee. So does the issue really start with Apple Blossom or is Apple Blossom a symptom of the greater issue in Wenatchee and East Wenatchee? So that's the thing, if we have a super diverse royalty and a super diverse parade, maybe that's the end game. Mm. It's like we know that we did enough work when we see people of color in different spaces, when we see diversity in the holistic view of the parade instead of these spaces where Latinx folk, Black folk and Indigenous folk are often stereotyped in. Instead of starting with Apple Blossom, we could start with the institutions in Wenatchee that continuously oppress and undermine and undervalue people of color. It's like, there's just so many issues with it. And I thought, what's the point of Apple Blossom? Maybe we could just create our own. Like, I'm not saying that people need to be thanked for the work that they're doing, but where is the recognition of undocumented workers and Latinx workers and black agricultural workers in that parade? Who's the reason why Apple Blossom happens? Yeah. Exactly, when you trace it back, it's like, bam. But at the same time, is it, do we believe that people of color in Wenatchee are ready to have these conversations? 
Yeah, that one's hard for me because obviously there isn't that many black people in Wenatchee. That's just a fact. And growing up, that's something I definitely noticed. But I think a lot of the things that I did notice with discrimination and racism goes towards the Latinx community. And unfortunately, I just don't know if that community is willing to have those conversations. That's where it's like really hard. It's like, I just wish people would be willing to talk more about it because nobody's going to do anything if people can just say it doesn't exist or at least pretend it doesn't exist. And I feel like that's what continues to happen when people don't talk about it. But at the same time, I recognize that it takes so much strength and vulnerability to talk about this stuff. And it's really hard. And a lot of people just aren't willing to do it. And the difficulty is too, like again, with the school system in Wenatchee, it doesn't really foster any diverse and complex conversations. People, literally, like people of color, um, or not just people of color, but we have so much access to resources and knowledge. Besides having libraries, we have the internet. There's resources there. We can get books from the new Jim Crow to Chicano to Undocumented to there there there's so many books that we could get that further our perspective and besides these books not being promoted in the school system kids are not being taught on how to look for these resources and how to analyze them i know even going back to what grade was it i think sophomore year reading how to kill a mockingbird like like the major issue in that book and the conversation wasn't even had. All we were focusing on was literary devices. I'm like, what happened to the conversation of a black man being accused for a crime he didn't commit and evidence being placed to make it seem like he did. But even in the education system, when we read these books, like the conversation isn't there because it's so whitewashed and- And because we're being taught by teachers who never had to have that conversation in the first place. So how are they supposed to lead a conversation when them themselves have never had it in the first place? And I think that's where we just need more representation of people of color in spaces like education. But at the same time, I recognize that it's so hard to be in those spaces because you're not always welcomed. And it's very clear that you're not supposed to be in those spaces. It's so difficult because I know with a lot of staff at WBC, we've had conversations about how um, people of color applicants or BIPOC, so black, indigenous and people of color applicants aren't being taken seriously. And when people of color are hired on campus, a lot of times um, cannot cope in such a racist and conservative town and they leave because there isn't that support system there. And it's really difficult because by the time students go to college, college is essential in the way that it provides exposure to different thoughts and ideals through fact, through logic, and through reasoning. And I remember being in the harder classes, as people would call it, and a lot of um, students of color wouldn't try in these classes. And it isn't their fault. They are coming from a system that failed them because they weren't prepared. Because we were just taught to regurgitate information that we were supposedly learning to pass a test Mm -hmm. instead of actually developing critical thinking skills and fostering our intellect if we ever want to see a revolution occur if we ever want to see change happen a revolution in the mind has to take place no matter if you're white a person of color um black indigenous whatever you are you need to have that knowledge so then change can happen and we could see the goals that want to be met 
And that's why I find a lot of difficulty with all these protests that are happening in Wenatchee because a lot of these people don't understand what systemic racism is. A lot of these people don't know what microaggressions are. A lot of these people don't understand and aren't willing to comprehend how it is to live as an underrepresented and minoritized person in these systems, in this place. And it's so difficult because then a lot of times people of color are seen as the people who have to dismantle these institutions. At the same time, they're undervalued and they're not credited. And for me, I didn't learn any of that shit till I went to college. (laughs) That was the thing where I was like, wow, our K through 12 education is failing us in so many ways. Because you're literally learning to take a test, memorize the stuff, pass the test, and then forget it. Because at the end of the day, if you got an A, a B, or a B in the class, then you pass, then you're smart, then you're educated. Then you go to college and you learn like you didn't learn anything. I mean, congratulations, you learned how to pass a test, but that's pretty much it, right? You didn't learn how to critically think like you mentioned, Cynthia. You didn't learn about all these parts of history that we cut out of our history books in the K through education system. And people can argue like, yeah, kids are too young to learn about that stuff, but I'm sorry. Black and brown people in this America in America have to live those at such a young age, but apparently you're too young to learn about it. Because every day they're living in those <laughs> conditions. Every day they have to they are aware that their skin makes a difference in how they're treated or looked at. But apparently we can't learn about it in school because it's too much. Well, if it's too much, then we need to take down the systems that push us to have to face it every single day. Like they say it's too much, but they don't take into con- into consideration all the racism and hatred and all the alienation that we have to go through because of what's being taught in these spaces. Like, I remember being really upset because for some reason, black history only starts with slavery and for some reason it ends with MLK. That no Yes. The other issue, my history isn't even taught there. I remember I went to Washington DC and there was this, um, I went to the Smithsonian and there was this um, installation there that talked about um, immigrants' roles in agriculture during World War II. I was ecstatic because I had no idea. And I learned so much. Like I tried to absorb everything I could. And I remember I went back and I told my history teacher, I'm like, why did nobody teach me this? I remember I had a friend who um, a lot of people stereotyped her as Latina, but she was Hawaiian. She was Polynesian. In our AP history course, she learned about um the siege of hawaii and how hawaii was colonized and how unfair everything was and she felt proud because she was finally able to learn about her history and here's the thing it's horrible because it's taught as black history it's taught as chicano or latino history it's taught as x thing when in reality it's all american history and it should be taught as such it shouldn't be taught as an elective because then we're just praising this narrative of like, oh, like these white people came and educated and civilized everyone through no violent means. That's what we're basically taught. Yeah. <laughs> and they won't admit it. Like when we learn about the Vietnam War, they're just like, oh, they were fighting for democracy. And people hesitate to say that the U.S. lost and made a mistake during the Vietnam War. But we don't get taught that. We're taught to value white imperialism and white supremacy and white elitism through history, through just one of the courses. The same thing happens in literature. When did we ever read from a black author or a Latinx or an indigenous author? Amen. 
like when majority was all white people <laughs> white specifically <laughs> and just that like not reading books by people of color it just goes to say like how the k through 12 system once again spreads the narrative of shit that doesn't exist like when we don't read books from people of color you realize that once again you're controlling the narrative that people of color aren't educated are intellectual and that they can't be leaders so like all these shit that like you realize at a young age we're getting fed this because you're not doing what you should be doing which is educating us to see that our people are just as powerful as white people that so we're just as educated as white people and as talented yeah mm-hmm. and the other issue too that i find is that a lot of latinx folk don't talk about the anti-colorist attitudes and the anti-blackness within the latinx community um often there isn't any dialogue about the homophobia and transphobia within black indigenous and people of color communities mm-hmm. because we've put ourselves in this state where it's like oh people can only be racist towards us and we're so hacked on the idea that only white people can be racist or homophobic that then we're like oh no and we just kind of don't deal with that and we're repeating the cycle of retaliation LGBTQ folks are a minoritized group of people. They've suffered a lot at the hands of government and dominant culture. And instead of uniting and supporting one another and having these dialogues, we just take out all the anger we have on this other group of people. And, yeah. And there's also other factors yeah. like religion, education, um, colonialism, the effects of white colonialism on particular places. Like there's so many issues that can be taught and that we can learn about. But that is an offer to us. So it puts us in these places where we're just fighting with one another. Amen. Yep. Yeah, reaching out to people and when actually to talk, people of color and when actually to talk about some of the stuff they're not- they've noticed. And one of the kids, he responded back with, um, he was like, no, he said, no, thank you. I think there are way more important things than racism. And he's Asian too. And I, I think for me mm-hmm. growing up my whole life, I've always had the mentality of, I don't understand why Asian people have to fight their fight on their own, why the Latino community has to fight their fight on their own, and then how black people have to fight their their fight on their own. Because to me, because to me, it's like we're all suppressed groups in America that when we come together, we can be so much stronger together. But I think in his text, I finally understood that we can't all fight together. Because like you said, we're all fighting different fights and we're also all fighting against each other. And to him, when we ask the question, like, what are some of those things that you think are more um, important than racism? And one of the things that he said was affirmative action. Because to him, as an Asian individual, he felt that black people were taking his spot in schools in places that we didn't belong and that we were taking the Asian American spot where they're more educated and deserve to be in those spots. And so, so to me, I was like, wow, I finally understand why we can't really all fight together because you think certain ways of us that we're underprivileging you or this and this. And I think that's huge to me. And it makes me so sad to know that certain groups and the minority groups like also view each other in like such bad ways and bad lies as well and that's the thing it's all the effects of colonialism like for example i took east asian religion and i asked my professor why are asian people particularly like chinese people at this time because of the certain question i asked i'm mean, about covid but i was like why are they being racist towards black folk and he explained that it's because they had this perception that the people who are farther away 
um, were a lot more savage and barbarian-like because of the idolization of the color white and its implications with purity and whatever, and how all of these um, ideals still reside within these practices today. And it's really difficult because there has been a lot of formative action and when it comes to Asian and Asian Americans and where that fits. But we don't often talk about these racist, prejudiced ways of minoritized groups. Maybe your particular friend doesn't see himself as a minoritized group. He probably aligns with himself with the dominant culture, with the dominant majority, and says, oh, you're attacking me. Affirmative action was a way to try to fix the reparations after slavery because of the inherent biases and institutions that still survive on white supremacy and white elitism. That's facts. And okay, if he, if they don't want affirmative action, what are we going to do to bridge that gap? Because we have so many issues with gentrification, underfunding, particular with um, underserved and low-income communities that are largely people of color. And it's so difficult because instead of uniting and saying, hey, we have an issue with this, people just decide to be like, oh, nope, I'm not involved with this, um, no, this and that. And it's really difficult because we're not willing to look inward and say, why are we thinking like this? When it's been proven that individuals who are Black, who are Latinx, or people of color are less likely to get higher positions because of their name or if a photo's involved, because of the way they look. Sociology has proven this so many times and people still argue against it. I think that's what's so frustrating. It's like there's literally facts supporting that what it is. And then people still argue against and I'm just like, what the? I mean, even like police brutality, like I remember, I think it was last year, like a friend telling me like, oh yeah, I don't even see how police, I don't believe that police brutality and police have anything to do with um, race. race. And I'm just like, wait, what? Like you literally go back to history and police and the system literally started because of slavery. Like they started as slave catchers and slave watchers and then the Jim Crow eras it was advanced to make sure that black people knew their place in society. So how can you say it doesn't have anything to do with race and that police brutality doesn't exist? What in the first place it was created just for that reason. A hundred percent. Like people don't understand the reason why we have policing. The same thing happened. The Texas Rangers, well, everybody supposedly idolizes for some reason. They were responsible for the massacre of so many Latinx and Mexican people in Texas. Even though Texas belonged to Mexico and that land belonged to Mexicans. We were out here going on these rampages, massacring, racially profiling, raping all these people. And that's where the police department also came from. A form of control. That's where ICE came from. These systems come from inherently racist systems. That can't be argued. And a lot of people say like, oh no, well, I believe that there's like good cops and that the police can be good now. But what happened with the war on drugs? Police were criminalizing black, brown, and Asian folk. It's been proven that it was just a scheme from the government to continuously feed the prison industrial system. But people, for some reason, democratize this and say, oh, well, they're bad people. They were selling drugs, this and that. They don't look at the root on the reason why this occurs. The war on drugs literally militarizing, using military and war language, when it comes to supposedly um, helping the community, listening to these dog whistles, people just don't want to or don't have the capability or are unaware 
that things are a lot deeper than they look when presented. Mm-hmm. Police are the police system is inherently racist. Yeah, it's something that should have been taught, but no, because we follow this white narrative of history, it was never taught, and we were taught that the police were here to protect us, even though we know they only protect a few and the yeah. interests of a few. Or even how on the war on drug, how they made certain drugs illegal, placed it in certain communities just so they could go after certain people. And here's the thing, like, it's been proven that white people in comparison to other minoritized groups have about the same use of drugs. (laughs) But cops are more likely to be in brown and black neighborhoods than in white neighborhoods. Why don't we talk about that? (laughs) Why don't we talk about, we don't have dialogue about to continue this whole movement of change. But people often start off with action instead of thought. And it's okay, both can happen in the same time, but there has to be this connection, this unity. Like, a lot of times I want to go to Wenatchee and ask people taking part of this protest, what's the point? What are your goals with this protest? That's what I'm, I'm been asking too. Like, we can't just march for the rest of humanity. <laughs> like, if we don't have specific goals, like, nothing is going to happen. Because I know, like, they didn't want to... Supposedly, they didn't want to disrespect the police. They didn't want to defund the police. They There was, like, a lot of things that were being avoided. And the protest was more to show solidarity, which is okay. But in what other ways are we showing that? In what other ways are we standing up for the Black community? In what other ways are we using our privilege for the Black community? Instead of letting our privilege just sit there and uphold these systems that continuously massacre them absolutely and it's super frustrating because then people are just like cynthia why aren't you participating and i'm just like first of all i've been in this for a very long time (laughs) you have i've been about it before it was mainstream and before it was cool Mm -hmm. but there's a bigger picture that people aren't realizing when it comes to these what's the point of these actions is it for example when we have what lee elementary school is the goal to try to change the name is the goal to try to have more representation in the school district and city council? Is the goal to try to end gentrification on the south end? Like, what is the goal here? There's so many things that could be done to improve Wenatchee when it comes to diversity. Mm-hmm. But people aren't ready to have these conversations or they don't want to. And that's a difficult part. And it's so draining for people who do want to see a change for them to continuously take part in these movements when these movements have no goal. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times they're performative. I know the mayor of Wenatchee like released a letter like supporting the peaceful protesters and criminalizing the so-called violent looters or whatever. And I was like, if the people in charge, if dominant culture looks at you while you're protesting and says, oh, it's okay, you guys are protesting the right way, you're doing something wrong. There's nothing wrong with civil disobedience, especially when trying to get things done. There's different ways to get things done. And people have to realize that if you have a permit to protest and you're trying to get permission to protest, is it really a protest or is it performative? (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Yep, absolutely. Even just learning about um, the Freedom Riders, who are forever my inspiration for wanting to be a part of change, which was like a group of young people doing the civil rights movement. They were the ones sitting at the um, countertops or and getting dragged and getting the hose put on. People are so easy to say, this is how you should do this, when it's like, that is what they were doing years before and you attack them in violence, but apparently now it's okay for us to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrating because you see the same people speaking up, 
I know for a lot of events, like people get me into them and I feel at conflict with myself because I'm like, no, the mic should be given to other people and I shouldn't be taking up this much space. And then I know like with the Black Lives Matter movement, there's a lot of people who take up this, this like particular amount of space and it's a lot or people who aren't black taking up space. And I'm just like, part of me is like, okay, we need to use our privilege, but we have to recognize what voices need to be centralized and uplift those. Mm. And it's really difficult because you're right. Like it's a, it's hard to find people who are willing to speak up, especially in Wenatchee because it's such a small place. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of threat of like your safety and other things. But at the end of the day too, movement, and change the man's sacrifice what are we willing to put on the line so we could see things change out of the let's say 100 people come out to protest how many of those are willing to either participate in civil disobedience maybe some of those people are willing to dedicate themselves to policy changes uh, maybe these people are willing to do other things they are willing to do that and how many recognize the need gonna say i think that all also stems back from systematic racism is that in education we learn who are the leaders we learn who are the ones that can properly articulate in the way that you should articulate yourself in america and i think over the years people of color just learned that hey my voice isn't valued my voice isn't like gonna be viewed or i'm not gonna articulate because for me that was my issue for so long is that i felt like i couldn't speak up because i didn't properly know how to articulate and that's where i think people i think where college is so important is because it gives you those facts it gives you that history where you can finally say i know enough to say when enough is enough and that my voice matters mm -hmm. and that my story matters my perspective is true it's not it's like at the end of the like who's willing to lie about these particular things like who's willing to receive the ugly end of racism racism in itself is really ugly but who's willing to be on the receiving end of it as my experience continues in higher education i'm really happy because i see um how many spaces i could change how many voices i can uplift and just the generally generational change that will happen within my family but I know that there's a reality that I would have to face that I will constantly be undermined because I'm a woman and because I'm brown. No matter, even if I like graduate from like Harvard, if I graduate from an Ivy League school, if I do all these great things, somebody's just going to perceive me as a brown woman and all the racial implications that come with it. Like, oh, you just got in because of affirmative action, like all this little stuff that just devalues it. all the hard work you do and everything you are just it's so frustrating to me and it's really hard to cope with because then you have like the issue of imposter syndrome you have all those effects on mental health which is something that's not often talked about in society or is often just lightly touched on it causes all these other issues and it's really difficult because then we have less people of color less black folk black, less indigenous folk continuing to pursue higher ed where we need the most change as well mm -hmm. exactly <laughs> So it's just this whole chain and it's deciding whether or not we're willing to go through it because it's really difficult to cope with. And I know I found it really difficult to love my skin and to love myself. I would always say that I was imprisoned in my brown skin because my brown skin told people who I was supposedly before they even had a chance to meet me. 
and it was a sad reality knowing that I'm always going to be perceived in a specific way because of the way I look like. I'm always going to be tokenized. I'm always going to receive some type of hatred and I'm always going to be undervalued just because of the way that my skin is, just because I'm brown. And I remember that this one person actually got mad at me because I called myself brown. They were just like, oh, it's regressive and it's racist and it's bad and all these things. And I was like, but I am brown. What's the problem with it? Like, are you just mad because I was able to reclaim the term brown before you used it to criminalize me or what's going on? Like, I can't even call myself brown anymore. And it's so difficult because I feel like a lot of people don't talk about skin color as its own identity and the implications that has. Even though I can be long, I could have another person with me that's Latinx. Mm -hmm. And just because they're white passy, they have more privilege than I do. Yeah. And that comes from the anti-indigenous and anti-black attitudes of Latinx folk and other folk as well. The world's on fire. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Even just the counselors, I feel like that's one way that Wenatchee can work towards making it more diverse. It's like in the high school, like we need more counselors of color because like you said, mental illness is a huge it's it's a huge problem that they people don't talk about especially when it comes towards the latinx community or the african-american community or black community and we don't have counselors who look like us who we feel like have had our experiences where we feel comfortable enough to want to talk to them because then again you have to go there and prove that your emotions or your experience is valid without somebody questioning like are you sure this isn't really what it was supposed to mean are you sure they just weren't saying this because of this so i think that's just one way like they can start towards making a change it's just something as simple as that is creating more diversity within the counselors at the high school at the middle school and at the elementary school too i know um i had this really horrible experience with the wenatchee school district um so i was a representative for wenatchee high school at the time with ospi and you know, like I was, I wouldn't say I was tokenized, but a lot of people in that environment really looked up to me. One, because I was so young and because of the things I was speaking about. And like, I was trying to provide solutions to these racial disparities within the school system. But around that time, I started falling into depression. I didn't know I had depression and I was kicked out of AVID. Um, a lot of people criminalized me. And so I had to go to the district to talk with the immigration specialist because she was basically the one that kind of gave me the opportunity i guess you could say or she's like in charge of it and she wanted to talk about my grades because my grades were um poor and i remember around that time i did meet with our vice principal who was really supportive and we had an academic plan i was going to go to counseling i was going to do all these things so i can be okay and so i went in with her and she shamed me for my grades and she was like oh we want this student back when i had straight a's in comparison to this student, which was like C's, B's, and F's. And I tried explaining to her that I had depression or that I was feeling really sad and that I was feeling really anxious and that I worked on something with my professor, or not with my professor, with my vice principal at that time, and that things should be good. And then um, my mom was there and this particular staff member knew how to speak Spanish. And she basically started shaming my mom and was just like, oh, you need to take her phone away. And I was like, oh, don't take my phone away. It's the only way I can contact people because being honest, like I have self-harmed and I felt suicidal. And then she told my mom, oh, do you know your daughter wants to kill herself? And then I didn't know at that time that you need a warrant to go through somebody's phone. So she looked through my phone and there was this text that I sent to my friend asking him for toilet paper because my mom needed some. And he said, oh, I brought the rollout. 
she automatically assumed that it was like drugs mm. and then she brought up a picture of me wearing a crop top and she was like is this you like you look like a whore she started insulting me um she started accusing me of drinking and smoking and i just broke down and started crying my mom didn't know what to do and i asked that i wanted to go see mr buhold i was like oh i want to go see him he understands and she was like no you're not going to go see him because god knows where you would actually go wow. and so they ended up letting me talk to him through the phone and i felt horrible and three days after that i tried overdosing and i was in the hospital and it was because of her and sadly i found out that she was promoted to this position and i took forever to talk about it because in wenatchee high school they didn't believe me i only had two people who believed me that i wasn't okay and when i told the other migrant specialists about what happened they looked at me in shock but they didn't do anything else they just stayed quiet about it and i didn't know that i was able to file for a lawsuit but it was honestly one of the main moments in my life where i grew an intense hatred for when actually high school it was immense i would look for any excuse to not be there and it was just so hard for me because i used to work so hard i used to be such a happy kid and i just needed love and support and understanding and they couldn't even give me that which is essential in an educational place yeah for your students to be able to learn they their mindset has to be okay and i remember like i was on antidepressants and I was self-harming and I just wasn't okay at all. And it got to the point where my migrant specialist told me that I supposedly wasn't going to graduate and I wasn't able to take part in any of the activities like you know the senior breakfast and all these things. And so then I saw my counselor and she was like, "Hey CJ, like why aren't you at these events?" And I was like, "Oh, well they told me I wasn't going to graduate." And she was like, "What do you mean your five credits over?" Wow. I literally messed out on my senior experience. I was going to be the I was the first one to graduate from Philly, and this is like how everything played out. And I can't really I don't know what to do, I guess. Like I can't really hold anybody accountable just the, ins- the institution itself. But imagine that was just me and I was too scared to speak out. The person who's the most vocal about everything. And now I think about everyone else. People who maybe are here without their parents and don't want to cause any trouble for their family members. People who are being um held to super high standards by their parents. People who are struggling with a back because they have history with mental illness in their family. People who are going through a difficult time and are showing symptoms but can't be diagnosed because the staff at Wenatchee High School aren't trained to recognize symptoms of depression. And that's just a whole another issue inside of mental health health that needs to be talked about because it severely impacts their students of color. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the sad thing is that what people don't recognize is that the system doesn't privilege everybody in the same way. Some get to have the opportunity and the help they need when they need it and then others have to figure this crazy ass world by themselves because they're not going to get the support they need from the people that are supposed to give everybody this uh, support everybody the same support and instead people of color students of color have to navigate through this world by themselves and when they do face hardship they can't talk about it because like you said they don't want to cause problem for their families and there's also that part where like in the college you do have programs that help first year students and some of them are catered to migrant students to first generation students but you could only get into these programs if you're a citizen so we have a huge underserved group of undocumented students going through the system by themselves yeah absolutely and it's a lot more difficult for them because they don't qualify for FAFSA they don't qualify for a lot of scholarships especially in Wenatchee 
Uh, they don't have the same resources as a person that is a citizen does. And on top of that, having the issues of systemic racism, um, the stigma attached to mental health, the responsibilities that they have to support their families, it's a whole different type of weight weight they have to carry to be able to navigate these systems. I just want to say thank you so much, Cynthia. I would love to continue this discussion for so much longer. Um, unfortunately, we do have another interview that we're a little bit running late for. But I just want to say thank you. You are such an empowering person in this world as a young person to use your voice, not just at a time like this, but you've been doing it for as long as I can remember, even just elementary school, looking up to you because I just remember you as an individual who has been so strong and who has used her voice in so many different ways to not just help yourself, but your community and the people around you. So thank you so much for joining us here today. We truly do appreciate you. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you all so much. I hope to see y'all soon, either if I go down to Texas or if y'all come up here. Thanks so much for opening up the space to have this critical dialogue, especially during this time. And especially because it's localized in a place where we could impact the most, our own community. So thank you so much. Of course. Thank you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.